It's likely that you know this, but I'm going to take the time to mention Bonfireside Chat is actually a part of a huge network of podcasts talking about things as diverse as games, slightly older games, slightly smaller games, and then some comedy, you know, such as like bad games or bad music videos or just weird news. Go to duckfeed.tv and uh, check out all of the shows on the network. We're pretty sure you would enjoy them. Otherwise, we wouldn't make them. And uh, yeah, we would love to have you listen to them. So yeah, that is duckfeed.tv. Some of our landings were desperate adventures. We are now prepared to meet the inevitable counterattacks with power and with confidence. My name is Gary Butterfield. My name is Cole Ross. And you're listening to Bonfireside Chat. It is a Koss, or should I say Kossum favorite? Yes. And this week, (laughs) for the last time about Bloodborne, man, we're going to have to get really creative with our sign-offs and our Um, sign-offs. And this week, we are reading your responses to the DLC writ large. For, yes. for, for Bloodborne. Uh, um, Lobos, who was here last week, uh, we, we let him go because this is a an extra-large, super-packed, giant-sized recording session. Um, Indeed. Yeah. And you guys yeah. came out in force with the responses. <laughs> yep. Which um, we appreciate. And uh, I've said this a couple times recently. We're getting more responses than we can read. Um, yes. So uh, there's some internal editing that I'm doing on these to kind of bring out the salient points. I hope you do not mind. Uh, that that is happening but also if you wrote in and your response was not on here understand that that is solely a time constraint Mm -hmm. and uh, general rule of thumb two paragraphs yep two paragraphs is good um i don't want to sound unappreciative because Mm -hmm. it is it is awesome this is a great problem to have (laughs) yes and i I mean that sincerely like it's not uh you know it is just a a matter of time Mm -hmm. and uh and putting this stuff together what's cool does like i'm i'm speaking i'm uh being an advocate for him like i'm not complaining it's it's something Mm -hmm. that well, yeah, we make both, it easier for him. We both read them, and yeah. uh, the, the 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 more we get, the 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 higher the level of quality goes. So mm-hmm. all of these different voices, I just want to put together as as complete of a picture of kind of the general opinion of these areas and this content mm-hmm. as we can. Yep. Yeah. And if, if you also uh, just real quick on on that note, if you feel like um you know you, you want to talk about the thing and, and your response doesn't get written, um if you are a patron and want to head over to Slack, there we'll, we we'll talk on Slack, or you want to head over to Facebook. Mm-hmm. Like we read everything. Yeah. So it's not a uh, we're we're willing to chat with you about Bloodborne. We like working <laughs> out about Souls games. That's why we do this. Yeah. Um, but just uh, in the interest of the show with runtimes and the fact that these end up at the end of, you know, this is we're entering, <laughs> you know, two and a half hours of recording already and we still got a ways to go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's more about spending time with our wives and families uh, <laughs> than anything else. So <laughs> you with your cat and me with my lights that respond to my voice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Um, yeah, I'll go ahead and get started here with uh, some follow-up mm-hmm. from Derek. Uh, Derek says via contact, I have some follow-up about the right leg theory mentioned on the Hunter's Nightmare episode. Something I noticed while playing was that the knight statues in Kanehurst are all missing their right legs. This blew my mind when I first noticed it, having just read up on the right leg theories. Yeah. I thought the Kanehurst knights were missing their left leg. Hmm. I thought I saw this too, but I thought it was a different leg. But I could be, I totally could be wrong about that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um, I like the idea too because I'm th- thinking about it. The uh, the the way the blood flows through the body, um, your right ventricle, I believe. No, it's uh, ah, fuck, I got this wrong. No, it's your right ventricle. It's your left as you look at it on a diagram is your bigger one, and it goes to your right leg first. Mm-hmm. So that is the, that that's the first extremity that a that a, a contagion would hit. Oh yeah, that yeah. would make sense. 
yeah, yeah. very cool I know. Um, but yeah, that's a, that, that, that is a cool connection. Uh, Robin writes in via contact saying, you asked, um, and he's referring to the, uh, the um, uh, oh gosh, Lessons from Lordran episode about uh, uh, where we talked about uh, tabletop games. You asked if there were Souls-themed board games out there. One that immediately sprung to mind is Magic Realm. It is an Avalon Hill board game from the 70s, and it is highly praised for both its challenge, complexity, and in-depth gameplay. It's super expensive to buy because it is rare and out of print. I played it a few times back in the 80s, and it is definitely Souls-like. Check it out. And then he provides a link for us from BoardGameGeek.com. We'll put that link in the show notes. Yeah. Um, I'd never heard of that, but I'll definitely take a look. Yeah. Um, the cover's rad. There's a cool <laughs> wizard uh, menacing a snake dragon thing. <laughs> I'm sold. Yeah, into it. <laughs> this wizard looks like a, a, like Christopher Lee. Like It is definitely like a Christopher Lee-ass wizard. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're um, right. This is, uh, this is Saruman as fuck. Yeah, I like it. Um, yeah. Into it. Uh, Moving on to discussion about the Hunter's Nightmare itself, yeah. Take says via contact. I have separated these into the areas. Um, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah so, yeah. Uh, he says, uh, I just thought I'd like to point out that it's interesting to know that the precursor to the powder cake workshop was the Odo workshop. Workshop In Japanese, Odo means sound. It makes me wonder if the Odo workshop was originally a music organization that was converted to hunters out of the need to combat the beast. Or maybe the Japanese thought Odo would be a good name since explosions make a lot of noise. I kind of want to believe the latter, although, hey, what's happening in Vinheim? Yeah, exactly. I think it probably is the latter. Um, the former is an awesome idea, though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Just the idea that, like, people who would be crafting instruments would be really good at crafting weapons. Yeah. 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 You, then you end up, like, the Doof Warrior and shit. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's 100% rad. So, yeah. the um, yeah. yeah. I always appreciate Take's kind of etymology uh, yeah, stuff that he brings to this because I have no insight into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alex writes in via contact saying, Alex from the Blighttown Beacon here. I noticed in the Hunter's Nightmare that the location where you grab the Amygdala arm is a cave underneath the turret section where the dead Amygdala lies. That arm is not just from a small Amygdala, but that small Amygdala. Seems he died digging for <laughs> digging to the Blood River pipeline or something. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Alex mentioned that on our Facebook wall and I asked him to write in with it hmm. because I did not notice that geographical. Neither connection. did I. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was too busy running away from that blood star beast, not realizing yeah. it was a blood star beast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Super cool, cool uh, little. I love when geography stacks up. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin says via contact. I always hear Mister Butterfield talk about strength and arcane. Yet you guys barely touched on the Holy Moonlight Sword. I am a strength and heavy arcane build as well, and I'm in love with it. Just curious as to what your thoughts are on this weapon. Also, I disagree on Ludwig's horse face. He gave me the willies. It reminds me of a character from Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Yeah. I didn't make that connection, but now that he says it, it totally does have a bit of that kind of goofy, goofy, scary look to it. Yeah, I, I could I could see that that connection. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And the the uh, so the the Holy Moonlight Sword, um, you have to have good arcane. Um, yeah. If you just have a strength build, I was doing like double digit damage mm-hmm. with it. It was uh, it was no good. So I, I haven't done an arcane slash strength build. Yeah, I've done an arcane build and a strength build, but not <laughs> the twain have not met. Yeah, the uh, so. the first time that I played through this with the character that I made for the run of the show, um, mm-hmm. just kind of like going through it, um, that 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 guy I put a little bit of arcane into, and so I just uh, kind of invested, uh, knowing that this would be here to uh, to, to to boost it up. And it's really good. Like the, mm-hmm. the 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 ranged attack feels a little bit broken to me, in insofar as it's very effective. And I tested it out, and I didn't see an appreciable effect on the. Uh, on the on the durability like you would see in like dark souls one weapons that Mm -hmm. had kind of that same effect um it's really good 
Um, I think that it's kind of like, oh gosh, what is it? The uh, the equivalent in Dark Souls One. What is it? Uh, Artorias's sword, like the great yes. sword, the non cursed version, where you have to have ridiculous stats in order to use like it. Eighteen and lots of things. Yeah, yeah. I, I I feel like they're hiding a pretty good weapon behind this. I don't know if it's the best. Just like Artorias's great sword is not the best. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, as like this infinity plus one sword or whatever to use the TV tropes parlance, um, it works, um, for this. And I, I really like rolling around with this piece of, uh, uh, from history, but, uh, yeah, lore wise, it's fun. Yep. It's cool to use a, a named, a named blade. Mm-hmm. Someday I hope to own a named blade. <laughs> um, be yeah. careful when you draw it because so, otherwise you might not be able to sheath it before it tastes a name. Yep. <laughs> Someday I hope to make out with a sentient sword. <laughs> Um, Franz by contact, uh, has a note on Bloodborne and Hellboy. Um, <laughs> from the moment I entered this nightmare, I noticed something was different. The tone of the place was slightly weirder. I finally realized, uh, what it was when a corpse on the ground began, uh, begged me to save him while I slowly, a horse faced demon was revealed. I was in a Mike Mignola comic. Ludwig's introduction was the most blatant example, but everything up to this point could have been straight out of a Hellboy story. It's possible Miyazaki and Mignola uh, just share the same influences, but this place even has a weapon called the Boom Hammer. It could just be a coincidence, but I prefer a world where Miyazaki and Mignola are secretly the same person. You're the uh, comicsman between us. Is this does does this check out? Um, so Hellboy, I like I read the first five volumes of Hellboy mm-hmm. and there wasn't a whole lot of this in it, but Hellboy, I still have kind of followed the the main BPRD and Hellboy stories just from, you know, in, in wiki form or paragraph form, mm-hmm. meaning to read it, but it's just gotten so big yeah. and Hellboy gets really cool hmm. and gets kind of into this weird shit. It just takes a long time to get there. Like they spend a lot of times x in it, you know, <laughs> like just like, let's go just in, investigate this kind of thing. A demon is there and Hellboy punches it and that's <laughs> it. Like I like them. They're beautiful, but I didn't love the stories. Um, but I, I, this works with what I understand what the series kind of turns into. Yeah. Um, so, and it's something I've always wanted to read, but it just, it's expensive and time expensive yeah. to, uh, to read this huge, huge, <laughs> huge, huge series. Yeah. Those omnibuses are not cheap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm just picturing Ludwig with the, uh, with the sonorous voice of David Hyde Pierce. Oh yeah. I enjoy that. <laughs> yep. Brr, I say. Yes. Fraser? <laughs> Meredith? Oh, um, but yeah, thank you for writing in with that. I, I also like the idea of two people being the same person. Um, <laughs> Matt writes in via contest saying, I gotta say, I was really shocked when, uh, that Gary wasn't into Ludwig nearly as much as I thought he would be, given his glowing review of the Artorias fight. Artorias is my favorite boss in any video game, and Ludwig gave me some flashbacks to Artorias in a big way. Firstly, among the similarities is that you traverse into the place sort of removed from the space and time of the main game uh, of the main game world uh, to fight a hero fallen from from grace, corrupted by the very thing he had set out to battle against. Secondly, Ludwig's second form and Artorias both put you to shame when you compare the way that you wield their weapons to the way that they do. Uh, You heave them from side to side with notable exertion, whereas they wield the swords as if they were appendages that they were born with. Ludwig's explosive rapid combos make your ranged attacks with his sword look puny. Thirdly, they both have great music, Artorias's dissonant haunting strings, Ludwig's creepy violin melody, and the escalating chorus. They both touch me very deeply. Of course, I'm not setting out to change anybody's mind, uh, just throwing my two cents in. 
I like how two cents is hyphenated. I don't know mm-hmm. if you did that or he did, but I like the idea of two cents as a unit. That, like, that was him. A, yeah. Oh, I like that this is a two cents. <laughs> um, I think yeah. that we both just like uh, different things about the Artorias fight. Because mm-hmm. um, those things are all true. Yep. You know, those are similarities to the Artorias fight, but they're just mm-hmm. not the things that I love about the Artorias fight. Yeah. They're more like thematic similarities. Yeah. Which and and we I touched like the on. thematic yeah. stuff. Like, I like the thematic stuff in, in Artorias, but I liked it in, in Ludwig, too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that for, for Artorias, I like it's just one I can't separate it from it being like the boss fight I aced after dying a thousand times mm-hmm. um, and it being kind of unique in that game mm-hmm. like um, there are more duels in Bloodborne yeah. and have been since that but Artorias is really like I'm trying to think of other duels in Dark Souls 1 <laughs> is the reason why that stands out is because it's the one mm-hmm. of that like I'm having a hard time thinking of other examples um, so it's just like that was the powerful thing I mean, to me Gwen, about it was, like yeah, Gwen. Yeah, Gwen would be the other one, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then you could make some arguments about some of the other yeah. fights. But that, I mean, those are the two big ones. Yeah. Um, and those are two of my favorite fights mm-hmm. um, in that game. Uh, but that was what was so strong about it to me. It was just like memorizing a manageable moveset and uh, feeling awesome when I was able to do it. Yeah. Um, whereas this moveset, like because of the bigness and camera and bloodborneness, like I had a harder time memorizing. And mm-hmm. because it changes... And there are more moves and stuff. So the things I love about Artorias weren't really there yeah. for me. But the things you love about Artorias were. Mm-hmm. So I could totally see that. Yeah. I think that's the last response that explicitly calls you out. I didn't do that oh. intentionally. Um, the, nobody really calls me out. Uh, one person said, hey, Gary, and then in parentheses, and Cole, I guess, dot, dot, dot. Um, oh. I don't know how to read that. Uh, <laughs> hey, I don't know what that means either. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, but Matt's response actually flows nicely into um, into uh, and hell's or angel's response. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. It's probably angel. Okay. Yeah. I, one of my best friends growing up was angel. It was mm-hmm. named angel, and that's how you pronounce it. Um, angel says uh, to me, the Ludwig boss battle emphasizes and amplifies the differences between giant beast and dual type encounters in Bloodborne to great effect. Something about Beast Ludwig's screen filling, uh, screen filling size and erratic movements made it impossible for me to even survive using the lock, using lock-on tactics that I'd been able to muddle through with in previous boss fights. I found myself having to greatly improve my no-lock skills in order to deal with his beast phase, even to the point of changing uh, my grip on the controller to one that could access the camera stick, attack, and face button simultaneously. <laughs> Doing so proved greatly rewarding and added a fun sort of fight scene cinematography aspect of the battle none of this however was any help during his second phase having twisted my brain around uh to what was for me a new playstyle, i repeatedly hit a wall in his holy blade phase countless times i was punished in my attempts to apply my phase one technique to phase two <laughs> i found myself not only having to snap back to the into locked on dueling playstyle that i had previously favored but also to improve upon it the fact that this fight forced me to sharpen and employ these different skill sets in rapid succession makes Ludwig, silly horse face aside, my favorite <laughs> boss in Bloodborne. Having recently uh, started a new playthrough of Dark Souls 1, I have to say, though Souls 1 earns the top marks in the series for world and lore, Bloodborne contains From's most responsive combat mechanics. The subtle differences between locked and unlocked character movement, the ability to dodge to any clock angle, and the greatly expanded weapon moveset all feel incredible. I really, I'm really excited to see From apply yet another iteration of their brand of combat to the new Dark Souls. And to a new Dark Souls story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't have uh, have a lot to add to that. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that you uh, you know we talk about uh, when you talk about the mechanics. One thing that 
people will do when they talk about Bloodborne that is frustrating to me is when they compare it to previous Souls games and just kind of say it as a qualitative thing mm-hmm. rather than just it being responsive because they're different design philosophies. Like yeah. they're supposed to have different pacings mm-hmm. to them. Dark Souls 1 combat isn't sloppy or bad or slow. It's just slower pace. Yeah, they're, you know? they're, they're enforcing a different mindset on you. Yes, like the idea behind that is different. Mm-hmm. Um, than the idea behind Bloodborne. And it's fine to prefer one mm-hmm. to the other. And it is definitely more responsive yeah. um, because it has to be. Yeah. Um, and there's a kind of a host of design decisions that follow that we can, mm-hmm. that we kind of enumerated throughout the season. Yeah. Um, and uh, some of which I like and some I don't. A lot of those are iterative because they reference or build upon stuff that we saw before. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But the I- iteration is not necessarily, you know, qualitative or quantitative improvement. Yeah. Yeah, uh, totally. It totally feels like a different thing, but um, yeah, glad yeah. that uh, Ludwig Ludwig worked for you. Yeah, um, and then finally on the uh, the Hunter's Nightmare, Mitch writes in via contact saying, "I love this DLC. It was a real kick. It was a real dick kick to my abilities, uh, but more to my understanding of the Bloodborne universe. I want to focus on one thing though: my obsession with Lawrence. Every inch I fought for, making my way into the Nightmare Grand Cathedral." I don't know what I was expecting, but there he was, sprawled out like the Pieta. Wait, I thought Lawrence was a bloodletting beast. No, not the cleric beast Jesus to this Christological mythology. He kind of wanders there. Uh, (laughs) It nagged at me for hours. Which one is he really? It wasn't until later that I remembered the episode for the Nightmare of Mensis that it really hit me. The nightmare is coated in a layer of perception that fundamentally alters it and those within. So... What if he's both? Lawrence was seen as the savior to Yarnum. Uh, he was the first vicar and imbued with a fire that couldn't be put out. So revered, his skull was put on display to be worshipped by the devout. Willem, however, was right. He should have feared the old blood, but alas, he didn't. Church assassins put the parasite-ridden, bloodletting beasts, uh, took, sorry, took the parasite-ridden, bloodletting beast and threw away the embarrassing evidence into Thimero Isle, along with Yarnum. Like most things in Bloodborne, though, I, I don't know for sure. Uh, what I do know for sure is that, however, he gets my vote for the most bullshit boss by far. <laughs> Fuck that guy. <laughs> I like that turn at the end. Yep. I really thought that was going to end with you digging that fight. Um, <laughs> like, you know, um, yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um the idea, I think that we, I mean, we didn't explicitly say it, but I do think that the bloodletting beast and the chalice is probably is real world. Yeah, yeah. You know, version of this, like the mm-hmm. idea that when somebody dies or has like a different form, they can exist in the nightmare is kind mm-hmm. of a, a snapshot yep. or what have you. Um, yeah. So I think like, like probably an imprint of the way they exist. I mean, the skull pretty much explicitly says that. Yeah. 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 And, and, uh, I didn't, uh, I didn't put together the idea that the fire was symbolizing like a passion thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I'd read online, I didn't have the, the full story and couldn't remember it. So I didn't bring it up during the episode, but people had kind of compared that to him being present at old Yarnum. Yep. Um, when that burned. So I, I kind of like both those ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of like your, your body, however you died, that's how your afterlife, your ghost kind of like in a Beetlejuice oh, yeah. kind of way, <laughs> uh, you know, like the civil servants in Beetlejuice. <laughs> um, I dig that. I also dig your, your interpretation, Mitch. Yeah. Um, so. Also, we see a lot of uh, uh, fire enemies and fire magic in the in the uh, labyrinth yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep, for so sure. He, him being at the top of the hierarchy and, and thus closer to that possibly um, yeah. might also explain that. Yeah. Yep. Um, so moving on to the research hall. Mm-hmm. Um, Emily says, by contact. 
Your episode on the research hall perfectly summarized the reasons why Lady Maria is my new favorite boss in the series, so I won't beat a dead Ludwig by rehashing that. <laughs> uh, suffice to say that I will ride the Lady Maria love train straight into the moon. <laughs> a good sentence. Yep. Um, I was thinking about why Lady Maria really stood out for me and realized this is one of the only times we get a solid dual-style boss fight with a female character. Uh, there are plenty of duels with fallen male knights and kings, but Lost Sinner is the only other duel we get with a woman. In fact, all other female bosses tend to fall into the category of witches, broodmothers, and inappropriately sexy half-naked monsters. <laughs> for me, that's one more reason among many why she stands at the top of my list. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't put that together, but it is like pretty awesome that she is an, like a total consummate badass and kind of hero of the story, mm-hmm. you know, and we don't yeah. see that, especially after Dark Souls 2, <laughs> where like women were kind of a corrupting influence. Yeah, until the DLC. Um, until the DLC, it was kind of rectified it a little bit. But mm-hmm. up until that point, like women came along to ruin kingdoms <laughs> in that yeah. game. Like, no. And yeah. she's, she's confident. Like if she had decided to keep with it, she would have been a rival. <laughs> she would have she would have been a rival to or surpass Garman. Oh, totally. Would be because 100%. of her innate ability. Like, Garamin is only there because of inertia. <laughs> yeah. She has a magic leg bone that lets her zap. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, which Garamin, you know, he he's only has one leg bone, period. <laughs> so, two better than one. More legs equal better. <laughs> Centipede, Ninja's all-star. Uh, <laughs> uh, also, uh, I mean, I guess I was trying to think of other female duels. And I guess um, with the, the Knight's Blade Sira. Mm-hmm. or Siren rather in uh, Artorias Lewis, oh, but that's yeah, not a boss yeah. fight but it's another duel you get to do with a lady and mm-hmm. it's also similarly really cool yeah. even though that's kind of under the like the feminist angle that's kind of undercut by the fact that it's her mur- like mourning at the grave of her man mm-hmm. when you fight her so like yeah, yeah. Good, good point good point Emily yeah um, Robert writes in via contact saying two things stuck out to me about the research hall. The first has to do with St. Adeline and her quest for brain fluid. The whole thing is delightfully bizarre, feeling much like a twisted nightmare version of a survival horror puzzle. And there's not much like it elsewhere in the game, but what really stuck out to me was Adeline's voice acting. I work for an organization that supports vulnerable adults with mental disabilities. And once Adeline transformed, she sounded exactly like one of our users. It wasn't what she said, but rather the timbre of her sentences and the breathy way she ended them. It was kismet and very disquieting how similar she sounded to this person I know. Obviously, this is something that won't apply to everyone. Adeline's actress lent an especially uncanny edge to the research hall that I couldn't get out of my head. The other point that I wanted to touch on was Lady Maria of the Astral Clock Tower. Yes, she's a fantastic boss, but I wanted to commend From for being the rare Japanese company that realizes a tough woman doesn't require a needlessly sexed-up costume. Maria exudes an alluring level of confidence and elegance, but she's dressed for ass-kicking. Even Witcher 3 had its female leads jousting through swamps in the highest of heels, so it was great to see Maria's costume be so practical. Also, her resemblance to the to the doll speaks volumes as to what a total scumbag Garman is, all without narrating a single word. Uh, if one somehow hadn't made up their mind about that yet, what? Well, how weird is it that we didn't bring that stuff up? Like in these last two responses, that sounds like us. It does. Like, yeah, yeah. It sounds like something that we would have said. I I think I was just kind of thinking about the fight too much to concentrate on that. But mm-hmm. like, totally I, right. I, I mean, I was thinking about the strength of her character, irrespective of her gender. Yeah. 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 I mean, but it, it is awesome that like mm-hmm. it's a it's a badass lady who's not dressed yep. for you yeah. know a bikini shoot because like it's... that shit's not I can't I can't do that <laughs> I can't I can't abide that anymore. <laughs> you know, but it's a great opportunity that From didn't miss, but they took and used to great uh, to, to great effect. 
And I love uh, my 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 dude character wears her clothes because it's a swag ass fucking outfit. It's like my favorite <laughs> outfit in the game. Um, it's, yeah. it's amazing fashion souls. So uh, we're gonna make people angry with this. <laughs> I, I I don't yep. give a shit. Yep. Like, you you made reference that in the last episode too, but I, I officially yep. do not give a shit. No, I'm just making fun of people who get angry at this. <laughs> See, um, oh uh, man. Yeah, but uh, yeah, good good points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sisters fantastic. Are doing it for themselves. The, uh, <laughs> uh, Sean says via contact. The section in the research hall and the patients freaked me out, especially as they're a horrific nightmare version of hallucinogenic use. Uh, for me, the patients who were approaching enlightenment, but at the complete atrophy and disregard of their bodies, was just like being on ketamine. I don't know if you've used it, but it's a really pleasurable experience. Gary, <laughs> uh, like, ketamine. <laughs> Yeah, it's just turning into the senpai provide me ketamine. It's like turning into him. I don't know. I, I I know this isn't meant as a sales pitch, but it changing into one tickled me when mm-hmm. I thought of that. So I know yeah. that's not what Sean means. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've ever used it, but it's a really pleasurable experience that also manages to skew your perception of time and space to the extent that you can start to feel like you're reaching a completely different plane of existence in a really interior way, as opposed to, say, acid, which fucks up your perceptions of the outside world. So far, so much druggy bullshit. But for me, uh, that feeling of all-encompassing, though ultimately meaningless, enlightenment can become really unnerving for me due to the idea that's promoting a disconnection between the mind and body in, uh, uh, <laughs> in the way that's happening to the big wobbly fluid stack, uh, sacks. Uh, to them, they're in paradise compared to, say, the meaningless pleasure of looking at a flower or feeling the breeze. Mm. And to someone who has no experience of it, they look like uh, id-obsessed idiots. But to the main character, I somewhat someone with insight as to what's going on, but who is not truly transfigured to become part of the nightmare, they have a horrific push-slash-pull relationship going on. It's kind of a mashup of submitting to becoming a beast, but also a flip side of a sort of Lovecraftian happy ending you described in the wrap-up episode. As in, those with no knowledge of the dream are happy in a way, but those who have become fully subsumed to it are also happy in a way. It's uh, it's only those who walk between the two planes of existence and are, who are aware of both that are subjected to the horror of it. What a jolly game Bloodborne, game, Bloodborne is. <laughs> yeah, that's a fantastic response. Yeah, that's um, super cool. <laughs> um, it's it's super on the nose, like the mind-body divide by the fact that their heads literally pop off and exist yeah. separately. Um, but uh, boy, is that so powerful. And just what what Sean brings up in relation to like, oh, it's only because you're in between that you can see the horror of either side. Somebody who is fully in one camp or the other would not have the perspective that you do. It's because you're you're ignorant mm-hmm. when you're when you are uh, on either side. Mm-hmm. You don't know about the other side, and that's uh, just knowing is what does it. Yeah, um, yeah. you need it's a uh, and the, the idea of the kind of the drug prison. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes me think about Shadowrun, where people become uh, beetle heads, which uh, mm-hmm. stands for BTL, bit better than life, like kind of chips yeah. that you put in that just like give you like a holodeck experience that's better than anything. But yeah. they're just rows and rows of people rotting in beds, um, experiencing this like with bed sores and stuff. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like video games. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot like that. It's like the Oculus Fuck Corridor that we're all going to get into. Um, you need, like, Walter White to come in and rescue you from from, from the tenement, the clock tower tenement that you're in. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Randy writes in via contact saying, I love all the new areas in the old hunters, not only aesthetically, but for the intricate filigree of lore bits splashed throughout them. The research hall, for example, shows us uh, one of the darkest facets of the healing church polyhedron, a facet shaded with Bergenworth hues. This is full of good sentences. This is one that I uh, edited very little, actually. (laughs) Um, We know the choir continued the experimental philosophy founded at Burger King. Uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> with explicit deliberateness as evidenced by their droning by their donning of the blindfolds uh the research halls shelves lined with jars of with lined with jars of wacky juice and various other science muck would look just at home uh just as much at home in the nightmare lecture building or at the main bergenwurst campus also the numerous references to imbibing water to brain fluid recall specifically our friends the gudents and their vomitive enthusiasm for education this consistency of design extends to the ubiquitous wood paneling generous use of curved and bannistered staircases and even the even that damned weird square trap door that makes a reappearance another thing to consider uh, though this leans a little harder to the dreamy weemy side of things, is that uh, you leave this area through the face of a giant clock tower, passing through time, as it were, back to the fishing hamlet where the scholars of Bergenworth committed their crimes. These events likely played some part in the eventual departure of Lawrence and the creation of the Healing Church. But the church's orig origins in the Bergs uh, cannot be denied, and the transition from the clock tower to the hamlet acts like a back-in-time jump cut juxtaposed. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> juxtapossum uh, <laughs> I probably would have made that ju juxtaposition if I caught it uh, <laughs> uh, to make this whole point hit home a little harder um, at the very least uh, whatever uh, a perceptive mass conjured the hunter's nightmare seemed to think that there was indeed a direct through line uh, from clock to fish and cobbled those two concepts together yeah I like yeah. that idea of this whole thing of the nightmare being the cosmoses or the old one's idea of like trying to walk people through this very hostile recreation of the crime. Mm. Like <laughs> you are Willem Dafoe. Hmm, is there a connection <laughs> in Boondock Saints <laughs> walking through the crime scene, reenacting all of it? Yeah. 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 Well, well said and, uh, and well, uh, well considered. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, our friend and yours, Riff, says mm -hmm. by contact. Uh, the research lab is definitely my favorite. I assume this is the same Riff. Oh, yes, it is. Don't um, worry. Yeah. Uh, the research lab is definitely my favorite area in the game. It has everything. Weird enemies, cool scenery, mysteries, puzzles. The game's best NPC and her quest. The guy who lost his eyes in a puddle. Sounds just like salad fingers. Uh, plip plop, drip drop. And the best place to farm echoes outside of Jolly Co-op. Amazing. I didn't think anywhere would top Kanehurst, but they did it. Now that I've gushed... Let me say something of substance. You mentioned the Eurogamer article that posits the three sections of the DLC are different periods of time. I saw the article, but didn't read it because I hadn't played the DLC yet and never remembered to go back to it. However, I see their point. There are two notable bits of evidence for that in the middle area. First, in the real world, the balcony through the uh, Lumenflower Garden window overlooks a great cathedral. If you look very close, you can even barely make out the lantern. In the research lab, as I entered the first floor balcony area, I had that sudden rush of recognition that I'd been feeling all through the first area. I know this place. This is the Lumenflower Garden. <laughs> that means there should be a window right smash. But looking down off that balcony, you don't see the cathedral as you'd expect with the giant body of a beast lying on the altar. Uh, or if you fought them, if you did that already. Instead, it's the sick room above the dungeon with the elevator used to get there, which conceals the skull of the beast in uh, the other cathedral. Cathedral. So either this is two large buildings with very similar architecture, both linked to the first Vicar Larry, um, <laughs> or we're seeing it from two different time periods. The second point is more minor and metaphorical, but powerful. To pass from the second area to the third, you literally walk through a giant clock. I'd call it a little on the nose if it wasn't entirely rad. 
The only thing I have to say about the fishing village comes right at the beginning of it, so maybe it's okay to mention it now. As you enter the worst smelling area in any Souls game ever, <laughs> uh, keep an eye out for the corpse hanging about the village entrance. Its pose should strike you as very familiar with a significant alteration, and it's a clear you are not welcome here that I found delightful. Yeah. Indeed. We made reference to that. Um, there's mm. another response that uh, kind of called out um, what we were wondering in the research hall episode. Um, like, oh, gosh, what is the, oh, I've lost my eyes. Can you find them from? Mm-hmm. Um, and this respondent, whose name I don't have in front of me right now, I'm so sorry, um, uh, said that it's from the Dark Crystal. Yeah, I have to look that up. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody had mentioned the uh, the fireys from uh, from Labyrinth, and I was like, yes, that's it. But then I was like, no, no, that's not it, because I would remember the fireys. And the fireys <laughs> are not sad about losing their eyes. No. They're gleeful about taking every... Like, the fireys are Bergenworth. Um, that's another <laughs> reason why we should cover Labyrinth, because you don't need two eyes. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I need to look... I, I need to find that scene in The Dark Crystal, because... Mm-hmm. Uh, the Dark Crystal, out of all the Jim Henson movies, is probably the one I've watched the least mm-hmm. because it's a beautiful, like, movie stuck in molasses. Yeah. Like, it's really, really slow and boring, I think, mm-hmm. while yeah. being gorgeous. It, so, it felt like a trial run to yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I need to take a look and uh, and see the, uh, find that. And if I find it, I'll put it in the show notes. Mm-hmm. So, for sure. Yeah. But no, riffs on point. <laughs> like mm-hmm. walking through the clock, we didn't talk about how on the nose that was just because it was really salient to the transition. But like, mm-hmm. yeah, like you can do something like that if it's if it's entirely rad. Well, also it explicitly kind of they kind of fool you with the clock by explicitly saying like, oh, it's it's not. It's an astrolabe. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't meant to keep keep time. It's meant to to show the position of the stars. Mm-hmm. You know, things like that. So it was kind of like, oh, okay. Um, but then, yeah, you you literally go back in time. It's also like I didn't know whether you're going back in time from the research hall at that point when I first went through. Like I felt like the entire nightmare was back in time, but I didn't yeah. know that it was in three separate time periods. Yeah, that you were going until, further the further you went. Yeah, until I figured out what happened at the fishing village. Mm-hmm. So, gosh, like the, the 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 fact that you cover all that ground and when you realize that it all compresses back and just kind of yeah. presses forward. <laughs> yeah, yep. it's re- it's really amazing. It yep. is a, it is what a good DLC. It is a marvel of pacing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to yep. get started with Mike? Yes, I will. Uh, transitioning into fishing Hamlet responses, Mike says, "Hey, replaying the game, I noticed that Mikolash references Kos as the great one who turned Rom into a great one." Um, and if the way the orphan of coast climbs from what looks like the white being's womb, uh, then the dead whale is coast, the great one. Um, it's interesting how the great one that seemed to help Miko lash slash the church, uh, is the same one who was running the hunter's nightmare. Was she trapping hunters here to protect the people from their blood, from their bloodlust? As it says, most of the great ones are sympathetic in nature. And she, uh, has obviously helped humans before if she really did help Rom transcend. And why is she dead did she uh, sorry did maria kill her uh and is she guarding the corpse because she realized uh Kos was morally good questions for you guys to ponder i think when uh, mikolash is saying that she helped rom i think that's super indirect mm-hmm. i think that means that they used uh, bergenworth used research mm-hmm. from this to help i don't think cause meant to help rom or was an actual instrument mm-hmm. um the alternative explanation, because I can't think of a way in which Kaz would just be like, boink, and like turn Rom into <laughs> Super God. Yeah. Um, the alternative <laughs> explanation is they pulled a name out of nowhere. And it is, uh, they realize, because there's so little about Kaz in the main game that like, you know, it's just, I don't know. It just feels like they expand it. Like it makes it feel like it doesn't connect. Yeah. So it's either Mikolash was being metaphorical, which is a little bit weird because he doesn't seem in a state to be <laughs> metaphorical. 
Yeah. Or it's not like it, it wasn't intended to be this DLC when that line was written. Yeah. Like it wasn't intended to reference this event or reference that a thing. I could totally see Mikolash being a uh, being an intellectual who mistakes his uh, enthusiasm for understanding. Mm-hmm. And him invoking Kos just kind of uh, as as like lip service to this great being, the one that he knows about. <laughs> like yeah. I could totally see it being like nobody seems to have a real grasp of what's going on here. Yeah, and so and so him invoking this, um, he might not know too. Yeah, I didn't think about that because we don't actually know the timeline of that. So maybe he knows through hearsay or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Like he thinks that you know, oh, like Koss like helped turn you know create Rom, and maybe he thinks it was direct, but really it was through research and mm-hmm. eyeballs. Yeah, I guess that's what I mean. Like, it's an incomplete understanding. Yeah, I uh, can that, see that causes him to uh, kind of treat that as a as a talisman for kind yeah. of uh, like a, like an overarching uh, concept that he doesn't. Yeah, really it's, know it's about. the one he knows, and he's yep. pretty go- far gone at this point. So oh, who yeah. even knows what's going on in that brain salad? Like, <laughs> and then uh, I don't think that Kaz is trapping hunters here to protect them. I think it's here to torture them for eternity. Yep. <laughs> well, uh-huh. no, I mean to uh, to protect the populace from them. Like oh, from the- after they go sufficiently crazy enough, like let's just keep them down here in Hunter Jail. Oh yeah, in quarantine. I, I think it's actually just to torture them. Oh yeah, yeah. but yeah, that, it's, that, uh, uh, that, yeah, it's definitely um, spite. And I don't think that Coast is doing it. I think it's the villagers who have who have harnessed the power of Coast. Yeah, to yeah, to to have- you to use the, you know her and her uh, you know her her kid the orphan or the shadow or whatever we find as the host to like keep this thing in place. And only by killing the host do we end it. Yeah. Yep. 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 Um, Michael says via contact. Uh, I just like to write in t- uh, to let you guys know that the final boss of the DLC shows clear aesthetic influence from a well-known real-life phenomenon. The a globster <laughs> is the name for any unidentified monstrous mass that ends up washing up on a beach. D- well, this is great. And, like, I just got a, a, a moment of excitement because like, I've never heard of a globster. Yep. And, like, this is, I thought he was joking, but serious. Uh, <laughs> despite the hopes of cryptozoology people, these always turn out to be the rotting corpses of a dead sea animal rather than a new unknown species. Regardless of what these end up being in real life, I feel the creators of Bloodborne almost certainly draw on the image of a dead monster washing up on the beach in the Orphan of Cos boss fight. This being a Souls game, it ends up uh, being given the delightfully sad and disgusting twist that it's a dead god called uh, by prayers of villagers bearing a monster child that will be their salvation? Question mark. <laughs> the Souls series has drawn from mythology, fantasy, literature, tabletop RPGs, Lovecraft, and manga, but as far as I'm aware, this is their first step into urban legend. That's great. Yeah, man, Clobster. <laughs> Clobster. Just a wonderful name. It's got uh, all the good sounds in it, uh, aside from the K sound. Um, that that reminds me of uh, like most uh, most chupacabra sightings are just dogs with really really like tragically bad mange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All all that stuff. And also, and this is not the same thing. But whenever I hear about something like that, I think about Fiji mermaids. Oh yeah, Uh, because pretty much think about Fiji mermaids all the time. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) twenty four (laughs) seven. Rescue me from my brain. Um, But yeah, that idea. Man, they had something wa- shit washing up on the beach. And that's that's scary. Yeah, like, that, that just uh, like when you were when you were talking about that crab um, <laughs> anecdote, I knew this was waiting down the line. So yeah. I knew I knew I knew you'd be super into it. Yeah, End of the glob- <laughs> consider the lobster. My new collection of essays. Like <laughs> um, I say, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh man. Uh, so let's uh, let's let's go into this. Danielle writes in via uh, via contact saying. Um, have you seen how similar the broccoli head transformation looks to the mushroom monsters in the Japanese movie Matango? 
Uh, here's a movie poster showing the monsters and another photo from the movie. Uh, we have links to those there as well. Uh, Matongo is based on a book by William Hope Hodgson, uh, which was a big inspiration to Lovecraft. Another of Hodgson's books uh, has a weapon uh, has a weapon in it that sounds very similar to the Whirligig Saw called the Discos. Here's a description from The Nightland. The weapons had a disc of gray metal, sharp and wonderful, that spun in the end of a rod of gray metal uh, that were some ways charged by the earth current, uh, so that so that were any but stricken thereby, uh, they were cut in twain so easy as aught. Uh, and to the eye, they had somewhat the, the look of strange battle axes, uh, and might be lengthened by pulling out uh, by the pulling out of the handles. Hmm. Yeah, I had no idea. I had no idea either. I'm, I'm looking at stills from that movie, and that's that is a lot what it <laughs> that, looks like. That is I've exactly what it is. And we're we're yeah. we're, we're going to get to the Uzumaki um, episode here uh, next week after this. But um, the umbilical uh, mushrooms look mm-hmm. a lot like the broccoli heads as well yeah. i think that our failure to recognize moral mushrooms and then this i don't know if these these are based on an actual naturally occurring thing gary i think we need to like brush up on our fungusology gonna spend two weeks on mushroom camp yep okay. <laughs> and i hate mushrooms so it's gonna be a nightmare for me i love them mm. but i won't love these because they're sentient yeah so like i mean unless i fall in love <laughs> <laughs> then you know <sighs> can one love a sentient mushroom and we'll find out aminata what <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying to turn amy and amanita um, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. it, it didn't work like i'm not okay. saying i was entirely successful but <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it'll be my uh my paramorale um, <laughs> yeah uh just says via contact uh the problem with most adaptations of lovecraft's work is that the most culturally resonant part of it the huge cosmic god monsters seem to be often misused as dramatic set pieces or boss fights. This is what turned Dark Corners of the Earth from a great adaptation to a flawed power fantasy. While Bloodborne does have boss fights against cosmic monsters, it is much more graceful in their use. They either have ma- they're either man-made creations, invents, or half-forgotten shadows of their true selves. There are allusions to the greater cosmology, but they are presented in cryptic notes, rambling NPCs, and the environmental design. This is where the soul's approach to storytelling lends itself to the subject matter. While the player character is this immortal slayer of monsters, the player himself becomes a Lovecraftian protagonist, piercing together these hints to get a glimpse uh, at the truth of the cosmos. Where other players lose hope and let their uh, characters become inert, a creative explorer pushes on to find out more. The great one at the heart of the Old Hunters DLC is not a boss monster. It is a washed-up carcass of a beautiful creature that, through some miracle, gives birth to a child. Uh, and this single image recontextualizes everything about the game world. The great atrocities that led to the ruin of Yarnum were not the work of malicious gods, but the result of misguided human hubris. The great ones themselves are eternal and uncaring. They will still be here when the last human has become a bubbling sack of eyeballs, and there's nothing the player character can do about that. But even while nailing his central thesis of cosmic horror, Bloodborne mixes it up by adding the Miyazaki hallmarks of dignity in the grotesque and personal hope and triumph in the face of insurmountable odds. Yeah. So you said uh, in kind of the wrap up there that Bloodborne is the most effective Lovecraft game. And I feel less I feel less equipped to make that claim because I'm not as steeped in Lovecraft as you are. Although I'm you know, I feel like I'm getting there by talking about it with you like you're Mm -hmm. you're being kind of my Lovecraft Sherpa and kind of rediscovering this stuff from high school. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, Joseph's thoughts here actually really piece together why this feels satisfying to me. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I feel like I feel like this this game gets it. 
Yeah. So, and, and the, this is a, a big kind of part of it and more about like saying what other games don't get about it, mm-hmm. you know, like is just the, and like, I, I'll, I'll go to bat for dark corners. Like I love dark corners a lot, yeah. um, but it, you know, with the best will in the world, I can't say that the ending didn't, isn't kind of a, <laughs> you know, kind of shitty. Um, but the, uh, and kind of loses it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is, that is the reason why Lovecraft is so hard to film and so hard to, to adapt because, uh, you can't fight against it. It doesn't make it, you know, you can't, uh, it can't be an antagonist that you can surmount. Mm-hmm. And the way that Bloodborne does it is by, we don't actually deal with any of the things <laughs> other than perhaps like the moon presence, Yeah, you know, is the, the real, I mean, a little bit like Murgo and stuff, but for the most part, we're fighting, we're fighting the marginalia, you mm-hmm. know, of, of the great ones. Like. Yeah. This idea that there could still be great ones out there that are beyond our our ability to destroy. Mm-hmm. You know, like cause and, and cause is prime. Yeah. Like that being something that we couldn't actually fight. Yeah. Um is really cool. It's really clever mm-hmm. a way to kind of adapt that. Yeah. To still so, make it a satisfying video game that just like, yeah. oh, you saw it, so you die. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you couldn't you couldn't do it. would be a, it'd be a game full of winter lanterns. <laughs> If it were, if we were just like great ones and they were being true to the thing, to, mm-hmm. the, to the experience, but they do a lot of clever things to, like to make it work as a, not a power fantasy, but make it work as like, you know, adv- adversity you can surmount. Yeah. So agreed. Good, yeah. good response. And then the last response about the uh, the fishing hamlet here, Sean writes in via contact saying, The Old Hunters does a great job of explaining what happened between humans and the Great Ones, uh, but it didn't shed any light on why do the Great Ones do what they do. Then it became clear. The point is not why the Moon Presence sends you to kill Murgo, why Abritus is left behind, or even why Kos got pregnant and died. Bloodborne is about what happens when humans try to involve themselves in the events of the Great Ones, and why that is a really fucking bad idea. Bergenworth, Bergenworth finds the old blood in the old labyrinth, and they find a village of kin worshipping a deceased great one. They pursue transcendence through both routes, do unspeakable acts to other humans in the process, and both paths lead to ruin in the end. The only thing worse than crossing paths with a great one is to cross paths with the humans who seek out the great ones. Yeah, the last bit's very well said. Yeah. That's true. The um, Yeah, it is, uh, you know, a corpse should be well... Left well alone. It's not just um, you know you shouldn't fuck with the great ones, but it it just dovetails so well with that pursuit of knowledge mm-hmm. as as terror, you know, yeah. as something to be to be scared of. Mm-hmm. Um, works really well with that, and echoes a lot of my kind of feelings on the end game too. Yeah. And finally, uh, last comment in the just fun end section, uh, Dave says, "Hey guys, have you ever considered getting a Dark Souls inspired tattoo?" If so, what scene or character would you uh, would you do your epidermis justice? Um, <laughs> I just got one a few months ago. So awesome. Love the work you guys do. Huge fan. Uh, from Penn Yan, New York. Um, praise the sun. Mm-hmm. And there's a picture of his uh, his tattoo on his shoulder, which is a knight. Um, it looks like the uh, the knight from Dark Souls 2, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, walking up behind a bonfire with flames behind him. Yeah, the and bonfire is like negative space. Yes, um, pretty badass. Design. Yeah, it's really cool. And yeah. uh, it's it, it's on his shoulder. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. When you first uh, had the image come in there, I didn't realize it was skin and thought it was like a melon. Oh, yeah. And, like somebody had found a melon that looked like a Dark Souls cover. <laughs> it's like, by accident, like they didn't just take a Sharpie to it. Yeah, Dark Souls is making melons now. <laughs> we got to cover that. Uh, <laughs> oh, melon is so tasteless. Um, like, I, don't, I don't like uh, melon. Well, uh, big aside chat. Um, <laughs> no, no, it's just a very close up picture of, a, of, of an elbow. Of a man's shoulder. Yeah. Or an elbow. Oh, um, no. Uh, yeah, a shoulder. There we go. Yeah. Wrong joint. The um, I have uh, I've seen a couple Dark Souls tattoos I liked. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing I think is the coolest one, but I think it makes for a bad tattoo is the summon sign. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't like yellow. 
Uh, yeah. I don't like a lot of color tattoo anyway, but I specifically don't like yellow. I think it looks sickly and bruisey yeah. as a tattoo. Looks uh, kind of infected uh, mm-hmm. to a degree. Like unless it's like offset with something like a blue or uh, a blue or purple, like another cooler color that kind of surrounds it to make it not yeah. look uh, kind of sickly. Um, yeah, and and some insane tattoos usually don't have that right um, on there. And like for me, like tattoo wise, like I am picky about tattoos and like things that are. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of symbolic and simple other than like the giant tattoo of my cat on my chest. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, like I was, so it, if I were good to get one, it would be like a dark sign or mm-hmm. a hunter's mark or something like that. Wow. Um, I think, yeah, I wouldn't do that because I, 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 I I'm willing to admit I'm more superstitious than I would like to believe. Mm. So, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's, an eternal symbol of torment on yourself. You yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I know that it's a work of fiction. Like I don't actually believe, but like it's my aversion to the dark gift both with, uh, with yes. ease yeah no um yeah just uh they're both very potent symbols and i like the idea of a symbolic um uh tattoo more than a scene mm-hmm. um granted i have no tattoos uh because i am not a, a, a brave person nor can i commit to anything um the only tattoo that i want to get is a symbol of ka from the dark tower series but i kind of only want to do that when stephen king dies because mm-hmm. i don't want to get a get a symbol from a living person's work because he his last book might be like a white supremacist screed or something oh, sure. you know like you i just uh, yeah so uh but yeah so dark souls no dark tower yes um but uh but yeah i've thought about this like i've thought about the dark sign because i love that symbol uh but uh but no yeah it, it, yeah i've almost got uh or i've thought about getting um this like speaking of and this is not a souls thing but getting the symbol of torment mm-hmm. from torment because that that game is equally as important to me yep. kind of thematically and and stuff and is more of a universal kind of thing like that's not so mm-hmm. much like it is a curse mm-hmm. in that game but it's a curse that is about you know your past yep and everything it's the symbol itself though looks a little too like bikery mm, yeah uh, badass but uh, yeah i don't think i could get a character or anything like that it would have to be like i could get like a bonfire mm-hmm. something like that i would feel comfortable with yeah something small and symbolic yeah yeah i th- thought about um at the end of the series just kind of commemorate um everything that we've done with the show and like kind of what the game is, is meant to be and stuff uh getting a tattoo and the more i think about it i think that would be a humanity mm-hmm. yeah probably like, I would get a humanity sprite yeah um that, that'd be a great little tattoo yeah, because um, to, to to the untra- to the untrained eye, it would just look like a little ghost. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's and that's a that's a plus for me because I don't want it necessarily. I don't want Dark Souls like the logo <laughs> um, with you know, the TM. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just like from from the action RPG from from software <laughs> the tattoo. Um, but yeah, I, and this isn't to throw shade at uh, a Dave's tattoo either, no, which I think no. is badass. No, and like also... like his totally just reads as like a piece of medieval art, but it's the bonfire that really like kind of like sets it off. Yeah. 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 So yes, I have thought about it. Um, I think I would probably get a torment tattoo first. I've also mm-hmm. thought about getting Mort from, from oh, torment yeah? because I like skulls and uh-huh. it would be a cool skull to get mm-hmm. like that specific. And I love Mort. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I've gone back and forth on a bunch yeah. of different things. I'm not making a promise about getting a tattoo, but that is a good idea. Like if the show ever comes to an end and there's a lot of thought about that, especially yeah. people are like wondering, they're panicking. <laughs> yeah. First off, Hey, we have plans. Don't worry. Like we're yeah. not going away. There will still be as much Gary and Cole in your life. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but it, I mean, if we run out of blood, like Dark Souls, we run out of Dark Souls. Like, yeah, it's just you know that that's something we don't have control over. So it'll still be mm-hmm. Gary and Cole, but it might be something different. Mm-hmm. If that happens, though, when we're, you're out for Portland Retro Gaming Expo, let's mm-hmm. get humanity tattoos. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Damn it! You got me tape. to agree to it. Fuck. I know. <laughs> and I'm recording on my end, so you can't do it out. Um, that's not true. Okay, I was gonna say you never do that. <laughs> no, but this time I am to to uh, rope you into dark contracts. Um, <laughs> 
Thank you, everybody, for your responses. Yeah. Um, thank uh, you so much for writing in. If yours didn't make the cut, again, I'm sincerely sorry. But, you, you know, it's uh, just so many people wrote it. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you have anything to say about um, the things we're covering during the off season, um, mm-hmm. which we don't need to go through all those again, um, yep. we'll put them up on online or something. Mm-hmm. We'll do something to, to, to make a reference point so we don't have to talk about the entire season every time we mention it. <laughs> yep. um, but if you have anything to say about those, feel free to write in, duckfeed.tv forward slash contact. Yep. If you're taking a break, I understand. Um, we you know we wish you wouldn't, but if you are, um, mm-hmm. we'll see you for Dark Souls 3. Yep. And thanks for uh, joining us uh, talking about Bloodborne. Yeah. So there's um, the usual stuff, iTunes ratings and reviews, the Patreon, duckfeet.tv slash Patreon. Or sorry, nope, that is uh, patreon.com slash duckfeettv. It's all right. Um, yeah. And you can also uh, rate and review us on uh, iTunes. You can find us on Facebook. Um, you can find us both on Twitter. Kind of the usual channels mm-hmm. um, are all available and are all helpful. Um, if you like the show, tell people about it. Um, yeah. We always notice when people do that, and it's really great. Yeah. And uh yeah, and thanks. Uh, and also, just real quick, since it's the end of the season, thanks to all of our amazing guests. Yeah, this has been this a season. great season. Yeah, for for, for just a wonderful insight being brought in. Like I've always been incredibly grateful for everybody mm-hmm. who is who is who is kind of come on. I feel like they all bring something different, but uh, just remarkable. And and Gary, this speaks to your effort as well because yeah. you are the person who kind of reaches out and thinks about different people we can bring in. Happy, happy to do it. Yeah, um, it is, it is the, the least I can do to, to balance some of our workload, given that, uh, you know, you do all the back end shit. So if I can if I can do that, I'm happy to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And thanks, everybody. And looking forward to uh, guests for next season. I have some people kind of like tentatively lined up who have mm-hmm. not been on this season. So um excited about that. Yeah. So, um, cool. yeah. So until next time, uh, what's our, what our last last Bloodborne sign off? Oh, I mean, I think it has to be like, you know, corpses should be left well enough alone. Yeah. yeah. You're the old blood. Yeah, fear the old blood. God's sakes, fear it. Just fear the blood. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's power in the blood. <laughs> but still fear the blood. Yeah. Mombasa. And we all pray that we will have far more soon. How are you doing? Pretty good. How about you guys? Uh, just got done with the stream, so mm. kind of winding down from that. <laughs> yeah, what's uh, uh, what's your yeah, current? What are you playing? Oh yeah, what's your current project? Uh, uh, today I was playing Darkest Dungeon. Mm. You guys played that? Mm. It, very much so. That uh, okay. that just came out, right? Uh, it did, but the last time I played it was a year ago in early access. Yeah, and I played it pretty heavily, and then I decided I wasn't going to touch it until it came out, and mm-hmm. now it's out. So. Yeah, it's a the early access version was really robust. Like it, it doesn't was. feel like they've yeah. added that much to the the new version. Sure, um, uh, they did like balancing and tweaks and stuff. Yeah. and there's definitely new classes, new content, but like the core gameplay is is still pretty much the same. Yeah, I, I really love that game. That was one of my favorite games uh, that I played last year. Yeah. Um I think it does that. It, it's like the it's my favorite take I've seen on like kind of JRPG like turn based ca- combat in a really long time. Yeah, yeah. Small um, numbers. Yep, small numbers and everything matters and it's really yeah. strategic. Like it's yeah, all yeah. it's it's got elements of like a cuz party build is like the most important thing, like finding complementary combos and skills and stuff. Right, yeah, um, the whole positioning like the position dependent abilities and stuff like that are it's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's super good. I started playing it again last night now that it's, you know, the full Thanks. version cuz I ne- I never beat it, but I, I was like, okay, well now that it's out, I'm going to Trying to make a run. Heck yeah. So nice. Yeah. Super, super good. Yeah, I'm looking for it. I'm glad that uh that you uh started a playthrough on that because I definitely check that out. That's the kind of uh 
that's good to, to see somebody with you with your with your patience kind of like are you playing it with all of the because they they do um the developers did that really awesome thing with that where the the difficulty options are modular um hmm. you just you turn off individual parts if you want to people were saying just, that i didn't see that myself but yeah they were like oh did you not turn off like corpses like corpses is a new thing and like other stuff yeah. i was like oh corpses and, and uh heart attacks and like um enemies will call for reinforcements now apparently oh. but they they've just made it all optional so like uh you know it's, huh. it's cool that they leave it in, in the player's hands yeah well, i also like that the default is like everything on so <laughs> yeah yeah the, the, but then you're the, like uh, oh maybe this is a little too hard i'll turn something off but... yeah the beginning is not so much a problem and then the, some sure. of those mid-game bosses though with uh with corpses are just so hard <laughs> Oh it, yeah, you know, you can never get you know you just can't get to them unless you have a party specifically made that's like this is the hag killing party, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I like that game a whole lot. Nice. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. 